God in heaven, I just want to thank you for Genesis Church, and I want to thank you uh, for the people of this church, Lord, uh, those that you've brought into this place and the work that you continue to do, not only in here on Sundays, but in people's homes uh, during the week, uh, in our children's ministry with middle school students and high school students, God, uh, what an awesome privilege it is to be a part of this church. And I want to thank you for all of our volunteers that continue to give their own time uh, to serve you and to serve uh, the people that you bring to this place. And this morning, God, as we uh, dig into the Word and as we look at uh, the, the, the last message in this series called Living in HD, uh, as we look at Philippians, God, I just pray that uh, whatever it is that you need to do to kind of bring us to a conclusion uh, with this series, God, that you would do that work today. Uh, that you wouldn't hold back in any way. I thank you for all the things that you've been teaching us as we've been reading these words together, God, and any pieces that you want to put together, Lord, we pray that you continue doing that. But I pray that this wouldn't end here, that that even as we leave here today, that uh, you would just kind of use this time to just get people excited about reading their Bibles, uh, hearing from you, God, and most importantly, that those words would, would apply to our lives and that we would be changed by them. So we give you this time now, and we just trust in you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I've got some news that I need to start off by, by telling you this morning that, that might be a little disturbing. It might surprise some of you. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but, but I think we just kind of need to get it out on the open before we move forward. And that is that there is a disease that every single one of us has probably been infected with. Uh, that, that we just kind of need to bring out into the Oprah. I don't, I don't want to beat around the bush any longer about it. And I know may, it may sound sort of silly, but, but it's true. It, it's true. There, there's a reality here. And, and it might look something like this. Some of you may notice that there's something missing in your life. All right? And as you think about your own life, you know, that there's just some sort of gap or some sort of hole that's been, that you're waiting to be filled in you. And, and I know it sounds kind of generic and I know it sounds kind of broad, but let me just kind of give you some examples of what this looks like and then we'll sort of piece it together and, and kind of get our minds around it. And here's, here's how it looks, okay? Here's just an example of the effects of this disease. A man with this disease uh, has been known to sit in his living room on a Sunday afternoon, you know, just watching the football game or the basketball game on his 48-inch plasma TV, uh, runs perfectly, the one he got for Christmas, and all of a sudden this thought comes across his mind. I should have gotten the 60-inch. You know, I, I should have just put in a few extra bucks and, and rather than, you know, the 48-inch just gone all the way for the 60-inch. Are there any men who might possibly be guilty with this, this sort of disease? Anybody that's willing to be honest? Yes, I'm, I'm seeing some hands slowly slide up around the room as the reality of this just hits us. Now, women, you're not free from it either, okay? Because here's sort of the effect that it may have on a woman. A woman with this disease has been known to walk into her closet. All right, now notice I said walk into, not look at or stand outside of, but walk into her closet surrounded by racks of clothes and and say something like this, I I don't have anything to wear today, all right? Now, are there any women who might possibly be, okay, the hands are coming up around the room as the reality of all this begins to slowly hit us. Now, here's another effect. Some have been known to look into the mirror, And while looking in the mirror, wonder why it is that you ended up with your mom's nose or that you guys somehow ended up with dad's spare tire or dad's gut. And, and, you know, the reality of it hits you. 
And, and there are serious effects of it as well. A person with this disease tends to compare their spouse with other people's spouse. In fact, this disease in some way has probably affected the great number of divorces you know, that there are in America today. I know this disease is a big part of the consumer debt and some of the economic challenges that we're facing. You know, people who are filled with this disease have credit cards that are maxed out. You know, this disease always leads to people thinking that if they made twice as much as what they're currently making, then everything would be fine. Everything would work out okay. But here's the danger. If you have this disease, if there's any chance that this disease may have infected you in some way, don't go to a friend's house if they just got a brand new van and you've been wanting one. All right? Just stay away. You know, refuse the invitation. Don't show up. And don't dare go to, go to your friend's house if they just added on a new deck in the backyard and you've been wanting a deck for a whole long time. Because here's what might happen. Here's what this disease tends to do. It might trigger an episode of sorts in you. I mean, you might leave. It might throw everything out of, the, out of whack and, and, and you're going to have a hard time putting it all back together. But I don't know if any of these symptoms describe you or not. But there is a disease that affects every single one of us today. And it's a disease that I just simply like to call discontentment. Uh, it gets a hold of me from time to time, and it may get a hold of you, but it's the disease of, of discontentment. And it's really an epidemic in our culture today. You know, even with all of the advantages and all of the abundances that we have, we enjoy, we as Americans are some of the most discontent people on the planet, perhaps in all of history, that we are, we are discontent. Now, how do we medicate the disease? Well, last year, we spent, as a country, $1 billion on prescription drugs. You know, drugs that might offer some sort of inner peace or might, enjoy, or might offer, uh, you know, some sort of contentment. But when drugs are not an option, in some extreme situations, people tend to turn to alcohol or, or drugs or pornography and even food to try and treat these feelings of discontentment. Well, this morning, we're going to wrap up this series entitled Living in HD or Living in High Definition uh, by talking about contentment. What does it mean to live a life of contentment? Uh, This series is all about, you know, we've been talking about living with clarity and living with purpose, uh, living with a mission in mind, you know, just making sure that as you live your life each day that there's some sense that can be made of all of this, that you're living with such clear intention and with such clear passion that that things, even when they don't seem to add up or go the way that that you would like, they kind of come together. I mean, you can can sort of make sense of it, but you're living with this destination. And and so today we're going to close out by talking about contentment. And what it means to live with contentment and ultimately what it means to live our lives in full trust of Jesus Christ. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians and go to, go to Philippians chapter 4 today. Uh, the book of Philippians is a letter. We sometimes call it an epistle. But it's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to his friends, to the people of this church in Philippi. Now, if you've missed the, the past few weeks, or maybe this is your first time today, Paul writes this letter to his friends in Philippi to encourage them. Uh, he wants to give them some greater clarity. He wants to show them what a life of purpose looks like. And you need to know this. Paul's writing his letter from prison. Paul is in prison in Rome, being held unjustly, no idea when his life may be taken from him. And he writes this letter of encouragement to his friends to keep on living, to keep on living with this purpose. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, here's where we'll pick up. Here's what Paul says. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content. And I want to just stop right there for a second because we, before we go any further, you need to catch this, that contentment is something that we learn. All right? Contentment is something we learn. It's not like being born with blonde hair. Okay, it's not like being born with, with a second head or anything, you know. It, it's something that we learn. It's, it's, it's not something we are born with. By nature, we are not content people. Discontentment is something that we contract at a very early stage of life. Look at it this way. Parents, okay, parents, if, if you're a parent, think about your kids for just a moment. Now, my wife Jenny and I work really hard to help our kids learn to say please and thank you in all circumstances, All right, we want them to have good manners. Now, they're good kids, and I think they do a really good job, but sometimes they forget. You know, sometimes they forget to say please, and sometimes they forget to say thank you. I mean, we forget to do it as adults, but sometimes they forget. But there just seems to be one word that they never forget, and that word is the word more, all right? Now, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're sitting at the breakfast table or if we're out and about, out in the yard or whatever. They, they, they never seem to forget the word more. You know, I need more juice or I need more cereal or I need more goldfish. I mean, they're just always needing things, you know? I, I don't know, you know, get it yourself. You know, you're three years old, you know, make your own sandwich. You know, it's all about more and more and more. I mean, am I right? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Okay, we never seem to forget this word more, even as adults. You know, I think in many different ways, we never seem to forget the word more. Uh, Robert Hastings, he, he, he writes this kind of great picture of what, what all this more and contentment stuff looks like. And, and he writes it this way. He pictures us on a train ride. Okay, so go there with me, if you would. Imagine yourself on a train. And outside of the window, there are fields of corn and rolling hillsides and city skylines. But you don't really notice these things on the train Because you're focused on, totally focused on getting to the station. All right, you just want to get to the station. And so in your mind, you've decided that the station is the place where you will find fulfillment and happiness. If you can just get to the station. So you walk up and down the aisles of the train and you're looking at your watch and you're wondering, you know, why can't we get just to the station sooner? This would be very good. And here's what Hastings says. He says, the name of the train is more and the station is called contentment you know and and we we sort of think that this will get us there you know if i can just get more when i get to the station when i get my driver's license when i turn 16 you know when i get my degree you know when i finally you know have enough money to buy the convertible you know when when i finally shed the 50 pounds or or when i find mr Ryder, when i find mrs Ryder and get married you know when i get a million dollars in the bank when i get to the station you know i'll find happiness and the train called more is always heading to the station called contentment. And I don't think that's what Paul's trying to get at here in Philippians, that the way to contentment is more. I think he wants to show us the opposite of that, that it has nothing to do with that. But that's the message that we get from our culture. I mean, if you think about it, it's all around us. Look at it this way. As, as Steve mentioned last week, last week at this time, I was skiing the slopes of Utah. And it was a great time. It was a great getaway. And I had a chance to get away with some friends for some good skiing. And I owe my wife big time, like forever, because she stayed home with the children and let me go have some good guy time. And, and it, it was really a wonderful thing. So I'm flying out to Utah about a week and a half ago. And I get on the plane. And I'm looking forward to the peace and quiet. And so I've got my iPod. And I've got a book to read. And you know, we're sitting on the plane, getting ready to take off. And, and here's my plan for the flight. iPod, 
book, you know, peace, just kind of kicking back. Well, here's what I learned. That Frontier Airlines now has these little TV screens in every seat, and you can get direct TV while you fly, all right? Now, we don't have cable right now, so I'm missing out on ESPN and ESPN News and ESPN2 and Fox News and Discovery Channel and all these things. And so I learned that for $5.99, I can watch TV on my flight, and all of a sudden, I'm discontent, you know, because it's not enough to be going skiing. It's not enough to be sitting on the plane and to have the iPod and to have the book and all. Now there is something that I don't have that looks very intriguing to me, but you're going to be proud of me. All right. Because as your pastor, I refused it. I turned it down and I sat in my seat until I learned that because of the ticket that I had purchased on orbits.com, it actually included the free upgrade to the direct TV. And so I watched TV for half the flight and then I shut it off and then I read my book and, and listened to my headphones and all that. Uh, but, you know, we, we find ourselves in these situations where we're always discontented, you know, and people do it for a living, you know. They, they, their job is to make you feel discontented, that you need something, that you, that you need more. I mean, you're sitting there on the plane and, you know, so you want to do some shopping at 35,000 feet. You know, you've got Sky Mall magazine. So you're kicked back in your chair, you're opening it up thinking, I'm going to spend some money. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I need a mailbox right now. You know, I'm up in the air. There's nothing I can do about it. But I've always been thinking that I need to order a mailbox, and so I'll just order it out of Sky Mall. Or, you know, that that new head spa massager that's out. We don't have one of those. You know, I'm here. I've got my credit card. I, I, I could get this right now. Or, you know, who doesn't need their own personal robot? You know, I mean, you don't have one at home. Sky Mall magazine offers it to you, you know, for a, for a low time value. You know, we find ourselves when's enough enough, you know, that, that you know, just being content. And I think if we were really pushed on what it would take to make us content, we might say this. We might say that our life needs something. You know, what, what will it take? What would it take to make you content? Well, I need something. I'm missing something. There, there's, there's a gap in my life. You know, what does the Apostle Paul say? Here's what he says. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, in any and every situation, here's what Paul's trying to say, that contentment comes from within. You know, it's not based on any externals. It's not based on any set of circumstances that our contentment, our ability to get our minds and our heart and our life around contentment, that it, that it comes from within. It's an internal thing. And here's the thing, contentment has nothing to do on the size of your bank account. Contentment has nothing to do on the reliability of your vehicle or your car. It's not dependent on the S&P 500 or even on the housing market. I mean, these things are all external. They're outside of us. But if contentment then is something that we learn, then what do we need to learn in order to get this sort of contentment that Paul's trying to get at here? And so I just put together, after reading this text, just four short lessons, just four quick things that I think Paul's trying to get across. The first one is this. It's just rejoice in the Lord. Now, that's a tough one. 
to just kind of breeze over and figure out, well, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? And, and last week, Steve Wallen preached an awesome message on what joy looks like and what it means to live with joy. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, I'd, I'd encourage, you, encourage you to go back to our info hub after the service and get a copy of that or go to our website and you can follow the link to the podcast and, and listen to that message. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, here's what Paul, the Apostle Paul says. He says, hey, here's the base of it. Here's the foundation of it for me. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, that, that we can be content if we are disciplined. It takes discipline to find contentment. You know, it's like saying, I will be content enough to look out the window of the train to see all that God is blessing me with in my life, to take a look at His grace and His forgiveness and His promise of eternal life. I mean, you and I, we have a reason to be thankful. We, we have a reason to be thankful because we've been given things that we do not deserve, things that we can never get on our own. I mean, there's a peace that God is willing to give to every single one of us that cannot be matched in any way. But we have to choose to receive it. You have to choose to receive God's love. It will never be forced upon you. He lets you make the choice whether you want to receive that or not. Now, when was the last time? You know, maybe that you just kind of took it as an assignment or if you're looking for something to do as a quiet time or a Bible study, then maybe you just kick back with a piece of paper and a pen and you just wrote out, hey, here are some of the things that I'm thankful for. I mean, if you've never taken that opportunity, I, I would challenge you maybe to take that as an assignment even this week. I promise you that if you take it seriously, you'll fill up at least a piece of paper. You know, and the things that you can be thankful for that have been given to you. You know, even some things that could never be taken away. You know, and maybe you'd like to share those with others. We, you know, if you look in your bulletin, we've got an email address that we've established called genesisstories at gmail.com. And, and maybe you'd like to email your list to our staff. And, and with your permission, we've got a blog that we'll post it to and we can all kind of share in that together. You don't have to do that, but maybe you'd like to do that. Anytime you'd like to share a story of, hey, here's what God's doing in my life, uh, feel free to do so. But we have so much to be thankful for. That's what Paul's getting at here. And as Paul says, whatever the situation, whatever stage of life you find yourself walking in, no matter how fearful or how dangerous or how frightening it may be, rejoice in the Lord. He writes in in verses 10 and 11, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And so what Paul's trying to acknowledge here is that these people at this church in Philippi had been supporting him financially and in various ways because, again, Paul's living in prison and these people were reaching out to him. So Paul's acknowledging that. Now look what he says. I am not saying this because I'm in need. And I just have to stop right there and accuse him of being a liar. All right? I mean, here's the guy. He's in house arrest. He's in prison. He's got no money. If he doesn't pay his rent and his fees, he's going to the dungeon where most likely he'll die of disease even before being executed. He's got no money for food. I mean, he's got needs. He needs freedom. He needs justice. Uh, He he needs satisfaction. He could be executed any day. He needs peace. He needs comfort. But he doesn't think he has needs. And why is that? I mean, why is it that there are some people like this guy here who can just continue living their lives and and they've got all this junk that's happened to them or they've got this past that's just riddled of of letdowns and and disappointments, but yet they they still seem to have some sort of peace or, or contentment or motivation or drive to continue living forward. Here's what I think it is. Here's what I think it is for Paul and for others. I think it's because Paul had learned not to compare his life and his situations to anyone else's. I mean, you've heard people say, just worry about yourself. 
I think Paul was wrapped up into just kind of taking care of himself and not comparing his life to others. I mean, because nothing jeopardizes contentment more than comparisons. And that leads to our second lesson, and that's just resist comparing your situation to others. Resist comparing your situation to others. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, don't compare or classify yourself. Don't compare your situations to others. It's not wise. Now, I do this sometimes. And uh, one of the things that I try and do three, four mornings a week is if I can get my lazy self out of bed is to go for a run. And that's sometimes easy to do and sometimes pretty difficult to do. But, but when I do it, uh, I'll get up in the morning and I'll set out on my little three-mile run in, in the dark and I'll, I'll run the perimeter uh, of our subdivision and then I'll cross the street, cross the road, the main road, and go over into the subdivision across the road from ours. And, and then I'll run the perimeter of that subdivision. And it's a good little run, three miles, and get back to the house. But, but, but here's what happens, okay? Here, here's what happens even at 6.45 in the morning. Because... We live in this subdivision and we have this house which we love and we really feel like it was a gift from God. It's the nicest house we've ever had and I mean, we don't need, we don't have any need for a bigger house, you know, whatsoever. It's all that we need. But the subdivision across the street, those homes are real nice, you know. I mean, those those are the custom built homes with the, the nice landscaping and, you know, these nice driveways and everything. And I find that even in the morning when I run across the road, I see myself in one of those homes of, you know, like if, if I could just get that home. And so all of a sudden there's this feeling of discontentment, nobody's fault, you know, but mine, you know, and and what Paul's trying to get here is that comparison, comparison, that's not a word, comparison robs us of contentment. Comparison robs us of contentment. There was a study done recently in, of all places, Muncie, Indiana. Believe it or not, I was reading about it this past week. And they found that there was a large percentage of women in Muncie who were working but didn't need to work. And just something particular about Muncie that just led to this study. So they did this study to see why these women who didn't need to work and who didn't want to work were were working. And, And here's what they found, that the number one reason that these people who didn't want to work, didn't want to work, were working was they wanted to be able to afford things that other people had. I mean, we're always comparing. And, and here's the interesting thing. Here's the funny thing about our comparing. We compare up. We just have this natural tendency to compare up all the time. And, and I wonder what would happen if we'd be more inclined to compare down, maybe to those situations of people who are less fortunate than we are, if there'd be these greater feelings of gratitude and for appreciation and maybe even contentment. You know, we'd be thankful for what we have, but but our tendency is to compare up. And no matter what level we reach, we're always comparing to the person who is on the level ahead of us. And so we compare up, you know, and it, it creates these feelings of discontentment. I mean, you know, you're happy, but they're happier. You know, I mean, you're attractive, but but she's even more attractive. Or you've got money, but he's got more. Newsweek did a story, a study where they asked this question. What would it take to make you happy, to make you satisfied with life? And here's what they found. They found that people who made an average of $25,000 a year said they would be content if they made $54,000 a year. That if I made $54,000 a year, then I would be happy. 
Well, then they talked to a bunch of people that were making about $100,000 a year, and they asked that same question, what would it take to make you happy? How much money? And they said, if I made $192,000 a year, then I would be happy. That $192,000 a year would be happy. And so what they found, the moral of the story is this, that contentment for these folks was making twice as much as they were already making. And what Paul is saying here in Philippians is that you need to resist the temptation to compare your situation to other people. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I think here's here's the advantage that Paul has. He's seen both extremes. I mean, we, we could say that Paul has lived on both sides of the tracks. I mean, he grew up in a very wealthy family with everything that he could need, with the very best education that was offered, but now he's living in prison. He's had a lot, and now he has a little. You know, here's the point. I, I think whether you have a little or you ha- have a lot... Um, Whatever you are right now as far as contentment is what you'll be regardless of when your situation or your circumstances change. I mean, the more you have, the more you'll end up wanting. Proverbs says this. Proverbs says that human desires are like the world of the dead, that there's always room for more. And I just want to say that if right now in your life you're looking for material blessings to, to satisfy you, you'll never be content. There's, there's no particular paycheck. There's no particular job. There's no particular home. There's no situation that can satisfy. It doesn't matter if you have a little. It doesn't matter if you have a lot. And this leads us to the third lesson. And that is to recognize what doesn't bring contentment. To recognize what doesn't bring contentment. I mean, if material possessions could bring us contentment, you know, we as Americans, we, we, would, we would be the most content people on the planet. I mean, consider these statistics from the most recent census. 76% of poor households in America today have air conditioning. I mean, we've come a long way because 30 years ago, 36% of the same population had air conditioning. So we've, we've come 40% in that time. In 1973, the average size of a home being built was around 1,600 square feet. Today, the average size of a home built is 2,600 square feet. As of today, 97% of poor households in America have a color television. 78% of households have a DVD player. 62% have cable or satellite. I mean, we have to recognize what doesn't bring contentment. Material possessions in no way, and it can be proven, can guarantee contentment. And if we could find contentment in material things, Americans, you know, we'd have the contentment thing mastered. But why is it that we're so discontent? I mean, why is it that I struggle with discontentment or you struggle with discontentment? And I think what we have to do is we all have to eventually realize and recognize that, that things don't bring us contentment. You know, that money cannot bring contentment. But unfortunately, we sometimes have to learn that by experience. You know, we, we don't take someone else's word for it, and so we have to learn it for ourselves. 
And so we look at all these things around us that promise satisfaction, you know, success or achievement, you know, meeting our goals. And so our drive becomes, you know, I'll work 60, 70 hours a week if I have to. I'll I'll get the the title. I'll, I'll get the promotion. And when you get it, it finally brings some sort of contentment, but only for a short period of time, because then you find it kind of, it, it kind of fades away and you're left feeling discontent again and you wonder, why is it that I'm discontent? I, I need more. Or we, or we think time and we think money will satisfy. So we, we work really hard to build our portfolios. You know, we work really hard to, to build our investments, to get the vacation home, to get the convertible. And, and for a moment, we're content. But then there comes a point where we realize that that's not good enough, it's not enough anymore, and so, you know, I'm discontent now and I need more. Or we try the romantic relationship. You know, you, you, you put all of your chips into this romantic relationship and you believe this might just be at this, this might be everything that I need. Or maybe it's, it's sexual pleasure. You know, you're like, you know what, that for sure, that'll satisfy, you know, that movie. Or, you know, that one night stand. You know, we're satisfied for a moment, but then we end up just feeling discontent again. I mean, it has a very short shelf life, and we find ourselves just saying, I I need more. There has to be more than this. And the sad thing is that the more and more discontent that we become, the more desperate we are to start reaching out for things that we would never have imagined doing. You know, some might even turn to alcohol, the the abuse of alcohol and to drugs. Maybe it's the affair. But just so discontent. What is it that will finally satisfy? What's the answer to our problem of discontentment? Brian Welch was one of the guitar players for the band Korn. He learned the lesson of contentment, and this is his story. The fourth lesson is a lesson that Brian Welch learned, that the Apostle Paul knows, and one that we share with you today. That is that the answer to the problem of discontentment is Jesus. And you know, here's the funny thing. After seven weeks in this Living in HD series and reading through the book of Philippians... You might be surprised, it almost even sounds a little redundant, that the answer always comes back to Jesus. I mean, what is the answer for hope today? It's Jesus. What's the answer of purpose in your life today? It's Jesus. What's the answer of joy? It's Jesus. The answer to contentment is Jesus. It always leads back to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you won't have troubles. It doesn't mean that you won't have struggles in life. It doesn't mean that in any way that you may or may not be freed from the possibility of pain. But it means that Jesus is enough. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I believe that Paul puts kind of, kind of the, 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 the cornerstone in all of these passages in the book of Philippians when he says, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. I can walk through this. I can live tomorrow. I can get through this. I can heal this relationship. I can mend this wound in my life. It's all through the power and the strength and the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul learned that contentment is not found in anything outside of us. It's not in the externals, but it is found in the inner strength that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. And so the question that I want to end with this morning is this. If Jesus was all you had, would that be enough? If Jesus was all that you had, would that be enough? Each week we invite you to have a relationship with Jesus. But I want you to know that the invitation is not just to accept it, but that the invitation is also to surrender to it. And maybe that's a better word choice for you this morning. Because you've been living your life and fast forward. You've been going through the the motions. And like many of us, it's been all about you. And I wonder what it would take this morning for you to just surrender and say that I want to make my life about Jesus. That God, everything else I'm giving to you and I'm accepting your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if you're ready to make that decision or ready to make that commitment in your life today, I just want you to know that I and some others will be up front after the service. We'd love to talk with you about that and we'll pray with you. And you can meet me out down front uh, when we're finished this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he is the answer to every problem or every question or every challenge that we may face. And I know that for some that might sound kind of simple. And that might not... uh, promise any immediate reward or any immediate change to the circumstances or the challenges that they're walking through right now. But God, I believe that you're big enough and that you're powerful enough even in this very moment right now to so invade the personal space of our own lives that you can change our heart. That just as you did in this very extreme situation with this guy by the name of Brian Welch, that you can find just the right time and the right place to cut our hearts so that we know and realize that we need to surrender ourselves to you, even if we don't know what that means on the other side, that we don't have to know all the answers to all of our questions yet. But just even beginning this morning by knowing that I need Jesus. I need his strength. And I need the contentment that he can promise to me, the only one that can give that. And and as we look at this life of Brian Welch, Lord, and we look at the situation of you putting back together the broken pieces of a life, Lord, we know that that's the business that you're in, that you can put together any life, any shattered life, Lord, any shattered dream or situation. And I just pray that you would impress that truth upon us this morning. I thank you for these friends that have come today, Lord, even those right now that are really struggling with this question. God, I pray that you would ask the question of each of us. Where will we find our contentment?